Hi everyone, Drew Road here with a preview of this fantastic episode we have today. We have Dr. Shalini Bot on the podcast to talk about fascia, all things fascia, the body's connective tissue. Now fascia is a trending word in the health and fitness world, but do we really understand what it is, how it works, and the significant role that it plays? I had a little bit of an idea, a tiny bit of an idea, but Dr. Bot helped me go so much deeper and she's gonna do the same thing for you today. In today's interview, we talk about the fascia brain connection and how understanding our fascia and how it works can help us focus more and show up stronger throughout the day. We talk about the role fascia plays in our gut and how to eat a diet that doesn't make our fascia sticky. We talk about Dr. Bot's personal healing crisis and the lessons she learned that inspired her to become a top expert in this field. I think you're gonna love hearing from Dr. Bot. She has a great way of breaking the science down and giving you practical tips without losing the bigger picture and we're honored to have her on the podcast today. Now, before I read Dr. Bot's formal intro, I wanna say thank you for listening to this podcast. In just 25 episodes, you've helped make Broken Brain one of the top 100 top 100 podcasts in the world in the category of health. That's a big deal, and we couldn't have gotten there without your support. So from the bottom of my heart and our team's heart, I thank you. If you're looking to give back a little love to our team that puts in so much time into creating this series and these episodes, you can leave a review on Apple Podcast using your podcast app. When you leave a review, it helps others know this podcast is worth their time. So thank you again. And now let's jump into our formal introduction for Dr. Bot. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perot, executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think can help you improve your brain health feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest on the podcast is a dear friend of mine, Dr. Shalini Bot. Dr. Bot is a dedicated functional medicine professional with a decade of experience in the health and wellness field. She's the owner and the founder of the Movement Boutique in Toronto, Ontario, a next generation wellness clinic whose programs are designed around three main tenets, helping people achieve optimal wellness by getting them moving better, feeling better, and looking better. She has designed a workout method, a treatment method using acupuncture, fascial release, and nutrition, and now has three functional medicine programs, including a 21-day detox. After going through her own personal health challenges that Western medicine wasn't able to remediate, she developed a passion for functional medicine, eventually becoming certified practitioner to help others empower themselves through achieving their own health and wellness goals. In her private practice, her programs focus on providing patients with a roadmap to moving better, looking better, and feeling better. She works with patients who have been told they are normal as classified by their doctor, and are looking to take their health to new heights, cutting through all the noise and trends on the internet and bringing her patients the best and most relevant info for their body, mind, and microbiome. Dr. Bot, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Thanks, Drew. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you because there's so many areas that 
you know about that we have not covered inside of the Broken Brain series and in the podcast. And a big part of that is fashion, the body and how the body works and how everything is connected. But before we jump into all of that, you have such a unique and interesting background. We were chatting about it a little bit earlier. I thought it'd be great for our podcast listeners to hear about it. Tell us a little bit about your background and also how does that play into your own personal health crisis that you went through? So I think what we're referring to with my um, my background is that I grew up in an allopathic household. So my father's a surgeon. A lot of my uncles are doctors. And um, one of my uncles was a functional medicine doctor long before functional medicine even had its um, title that it does today. And um, my father's from India and my family um, has a lot of organic farming practices and organic farmland in India. So there's a lot of Ayurveda is the Indian um, medical system, so to speak, the ancient wisdom of uh, herbs and plants. And so I sort of had my foot in every single lens of medicine, whether old, new, um, Eastern and Western. Um, So when I went through my personal health crisis growing up, I was always bloated. I always knew I had digestive issues and I was diagnosed with IBS. So what is IBS really? It's nothing. There's not really a test. There's not really a solution in the medical system. So, you know, that might include nausea sometimes, bloating, uh, alternating constipation and diarrhea. Um, It's a name that we give to a group of symptoms that we don't know what to do with in traditional medicine. That's exactly it. So um, then, you know, I was a dancer growing up. I had a knee injury. I tore my meniscus and, you know, I immediately had surgery. At the time, I didn't even know about acupuncture or fascial release or anything like that. My dad just said, okay, let's go to the orthopedic surgeon, have surgery. Um, So there were just so many times where I was sent straight to the medical system, but it never solved the problems, right? Like, why did my cartilage... um, tear at that point. Uh, It was a lot of chronic things building up. And then eventually, which we'll talk about today, how injuries happen. And um, ultimately, I ended up finding functional medicine. And that's how I dealt with a lot of my chronic issues. And that's sort of where I am today with my foot in kind of every door from Eastern, Western, old and new and what kind of works best for the patients. You're telling me a little bit about your grandmother in India. You know, you might get sick over here and they'd have one particular treatment and then you'd be in India visiting your grandmother. And she would make this like tonic for you and you would get better. Was it a little bit of like a battle in your household of which way is a better way to treat Shalini? Well, I think it's actually so funny because when I used to fly to India, I used to get so sick. I would be so nauseous and I'd be vomiting the entire way, which was a long flight with stopovers and all that. And I remember so clearly one day, you know, we were going to leave India and I was again getting nauseous and getting ready to fly. My grandmother handed me this tiny little shot glass kind of thing with the most bitter, gross, like herbal shot. And I took it and I was instantly better. And I think that was sort of my very first actually eye opening experience. Like, hey, wait, medicine isn't everything. Pills and, you know, cough syrups and all this. Like there's something else to be said. That was kind of my first eye opener to plants as medicine. That's amazing. And, you know, obviously Western medicine always having the best intention, wanting to help us out. But all this ancient medicine is medicine too. And I guess our hope with functional medicine is that we want to evolve the conversation and show people that it all can live and work together with it. So I want to talk a little about continuing the story. So continuing the story a little bit, take us from there a little bit further into your education and how you arrived to finding the world. 
So I think after my knee surgery, I definitely like any you know, person, they have an experience and then it sort of shapes them and they think they want to go do that thing. So I thought, okay, I want to do medicine. I wanted to do kind of what my dad did. Um, and so I went through university, I went through kinesiology cause all I knew was I loved the body. Okay. I did kinesiology and then that was coming to an end and I was like, okay, I want to help people with their bodies and their ailments and their injuries, but I don't want to prescribe medicine. I knew that wasn't right for me. So then at the time, to be honest, I didn't even know up until third year university, what a chiropractor was or what they did. Um, and someone was applying, um, in my, uh, class and I kind of looked into it and I was like, oh, I get to diagnose and figure things out, but I don't have to prescribe medicines. I can actually spend time with people, get to the root cause of their problem. Um, so I went to chiropractic college. In chiropractic college, I also did acupuncture training. And then I think with the stressors of anyone going through medical school or chiropractic school, I ended up getting, you know, it really took a toll on my health again. I picked mm-hmm. up every single thing. If someone coughed in the lecture hall, I was like so sick all the time. Um, you know, really had a hard time uh, concentrating, brain fog. I would fall asleep all the time. Like my husband, who I was dating at that time also, um, would call me the narc attacker because we'd turn on a movie and I would just like fall asleep. Like I could never, ever stay awake. Um, so I think it was through all those different health challenges that um, someone said to me, you know, have you tried an elimination diet? And I'm like, ah, oh, like food. What do you mean? Like, you know, anyway, I took food have to do with yeah, my brain yeah, fog, right? Like all of this stuff. And so I did that and I was, I, you know, I felt on top of the world at the end of the 30 days, which as we know, you know, that's not telling me the root cause, but it gave me an insight into something might be going on. So then I found functional medicine and it really, uh, resonated with me. So I completed my training there and that's how I've been able to bring that into my practice. Let's talk about your practice. Why do people come to you and what are the common things that they are dealing with that they're hoping that they can help you feel better with? So um, when I started my practice almost 10 years ago, people were coming with, you know, MSK problems, uh, some musculoskeletal problems. And so it'd be aches or pains or something like that. And then... So like traditional like yeah, back, back pain, or... yeah, shoulder pain, neck pain, whatever it was. And um, then slowly people would um, just start referring their friends because they'd say, I don't know, she just fixed me. And I never was a bone cracker. I know chiro- when I say chiropractic, people think of um, adjustments. I was I used acupuncture and I used all kinds of fascial release um, techniques. And so I think why people come to me now is we have a motto at the Movement Boutique. It's they want to move better, feel better and look better. Um, My whole MO for my entire practice is to be a magnet for uh, people who feel fine. And if that makes any sense, maybe they've been to their GP and they've been told they're normal, um, whatever that means. But they kind of just don't feel as good as they once did. Um, And they know something is not right, but they can't put their finger on it. And the GP doesn't really have the right tests to um, figure that out for them. So I'm just obsessed with people, with showing people what's possible and that level of health because I've been there. So I sort of, they might come in with some kind of body ache or pain. They might see one of my colleagues for, to do our TMB method treatment, which is fascial release and acupuncture. And then, you know, they might start to work on stuff there, get to a certain level. And then my colleague might say, you know what, there might also be a metabolic component here, like check out functional medicine, it might help you. And then we do functional medicine testing and sort of set them up with, you know, nutrition, supplement, lifestyle, exercise, like the whole functional medicine way of treating just as you would. It's like being a chiropractor the way that you are, it's evolved so much compared to what people would think about. Yes. I mean, there was a time where people thought, 
you know, chiropractic work was just for, oh, you're in a car accident. You need some, you know, you need to get adjusted afterwards, but it's so much bigger now. And there's so many more things because it's all connected. And and I want to use this podcast and this opportunity to help people understand um, some of those core ways that the body is, is connected. So you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, fascial release. Let's start off with the basics. What is the fascia and what role does it play uh, with our body and our health? Yeah, so fascia is sort of this fabric that interweaves all throughout our body from the tip of our head to our toes. Uh, the best way I can describe the role of fascia is if you think of everywhere it says our body is 70% water. Well, why doesn't all that water pool to our feet? right? There's something to hold it all up, right? So every organ is encased in fascia, every muscle group is encased in fascia, even muscle fibers themselves are encased in fascia. And again, you know, going back to gravity, we stand up all day, our organs aren't all falling to our pelvis. Why? Because fascia is holding each and every one of them up in their place. Fascia, if you want to picture it, is like a, a pair of, fe- of women's nylons. If you were to pull them really, really tight, they'd have that tensile uh, stretch to them. Like if someone was to come and karate chop that nylon, it'd be kind of firm. But if you were to you know, let go of it a little bit, it would be f- flexible, right? So it's flexible, but it also can create lots of tension when pulled in the right directions, right? So it has, it, it has this tensegrity uh, that's really special in that it's elastic and it's flexible but the same way with a nylon if we stretch that nylon and then we poked it it could create a run in the nylon right so you know it might be very strong but if we tried to put our finger through it and then a tiny run happened that run will go the entire way of the nylon eventually right it's not going to just stay in one spot so fascia is the same way and injuries sort of end up working the same way and because it's all connected one injury in one place could have reverberations in a completely other place. So a big part of the work that you do is people come in and say, I have back pain and it may not really be related to their back. Tell us a little bit more about that or, or give us maybe an example of, 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 um, how that might be the case, you know, how somebody's, how one thing that somebody's dealing with could be related to a bunch of different things, including even maybe nutrition or other stuff. Yeah. So, um, That's actually a really good point because a lot of people will, and going back to the type of patient that comes to see me, they might've been told by their GP, you know, maybe they have bloating, maybe they have stomach aches, um, but also they might have a little bit of back pain or something. So the only thing the GP can really say is, you know, there's not really a test for bloating. There's not really a test for low energy, um, but, oh, okay, you have back pain, go see a physio, go see a chiropractor or whatever, right? That's quantifiable and it's something they can refer to. Then if you have a traditional practitioner, whoever they might be, they're going to address that problem. So if you go for a back pain, you might have a a practitioner that just focuses on your back. They ice your back, they heat your back, they manipulate your back, they do acupuncture in your back, they do physio exercise for your back, right? But just like functional medicine, we're trying to find the root cause and we're peeling back the layers of how this person ended up with this symptom functional treatment and functional movement are the same way. So how did that person end up getting that back pain? Maybe their hip stopped moving properly and that caused uh, more onus on the back and then the back went out. Maybe their thumb got really tired from texting and their arm was being held in a weird position and now they've got a neck pain or a shoulder pain, right? So they're actually presenting with one thing, but the root cause of that actual pain can be 
can be found somewhere else. And that is because fascial sleeves can be encompassing the whole body. So there's, you know, fascial sleeves can go right from the bottom of your foot right to the top of your head. So that's a really long chain. So um, those injuries can, yeah, definitely be coming from different places for sure. So break that down a little bit more, the fascial sleeve. So the sleeve is a connection. So fascia is is this one thing, but it's also these individual things. Yeah. So, so there's connections in the body uh, in different ways. Can Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think of, um, so picture the bottom of your foot and then something traveling up the back of your calves and then traveling up the back of your hamstrings, the back of your bum, and then going up either side of your spine, right into the base of your head and then over your skull, right to your forehead. That's an example of a fascial track. It goes in that one straight line. So actually that you, one example and ways that people can, um, you guys can try this at home, but not if you're driving. Um, here's a way to understand how it's all connected. Everyone always says I have tight hamstrings, right? So Mm. we all sit all the time. Um, people always want to stretch their hamstrings, right? And so what do they do? What's the, what do they do? They fold over to touch the floor, right? Like as a hamstring stretch. So if you think of that, that's kind of tightening all of that entire sleeve, right? But sometimes they go forward to try to touch their toes and they can't feel the stretch in their hamstring, right? Like sometimes you might feel it in your back if you do that, or you might feel it, um, in your calves, depending on um, what it is, right? So just to prove this to you guys all, if everybody has a tennis ball or a golf ball or something, try doing that stress stretch. So try folding forward and see how far you get. And then take a tennis ball or a golf ball and rub the bottom of your foot vigorously on that tennis ball for about 30 seconds to a minute and do that on both feet. And then again, bend forward and you'll notice your flexibility has increased and you haven't even stretched your hamstring. Amazing. It's, it's so connected to everything. And even we were chatting about this a little earlier, but mainstream medicine, there's a few journal reports. You were mentioning one that came out in 2016. There was one that came out in 2018 where essentially these different new organs, you know, if you go to Google and you say, you know, type in, you know, new organ discovered really these studies and what they're talking about is, is fascia. And I think that previously it's sort of a testament to, you know, we overlooked this thing. It was so obvious we overlooked it in traditional medicine, and yet it's connected to um, it's connected to everything. So, help us understand a little bit more. So, let's go expand beyond beyond fascia a little bit, and the the other root things that are coming in. Somebody comes in for one aspect that they're that they're coming to see you, and there might be a deeper issue that's there. What are the other aspects of the body that you take a look at when you're working with your patients to help them discover what the root cause is of their issue? Okay, good question. So yeah, I mean, fascia, first of all, just to address that back, even when I was in chiropractic college and um, doing cadaver dissections in university, we would dissect away the fascia. So if you guys want to picture this, like if you get a steak or if you get a chicken, that white film that's surrounding that piece of meat, that's the fascia that we're talking about. Um, And we used to dissect that away to look at the muscle underneath. We used to dissect that away to look at the, um, you know, bowels and everything. So Now, what you're saying is that the research is actually acknowledging that fascia is an organ that has a function and that it's really important that we, you know, take care of that tissue and organ just like we would any other part of our body. Uh, It's so important that that fascia is well hydrated. So one of the examples that I give my patients in the work that I do, whether through changing their nutrition or acupuncture or fascial release, is rehydrating that tissue. So 
if you have any type of injury, it's sort of like our tissues are like a sponge. Basically, if you buy a brand new sponge, it's nice and pliable. If you use it and then you leave it out to dry, it becomes really, really dry. And then if you were to fold that dry sponge, it kind of creates lines on that sponge, right? It kind of creates bend lines. The only thing that sponge needs is to be run underwater again to return to its pliability, right? That's the body is the exact same way. So there's so many different ways to do that. As I mentioned, we use um, acupuncture, we use dry needling, we use a specific fascial release technique at the Movement Boutique. We also use rehabilitation and nutrition to rehydrate that um, fascia because one of the things that's really important is how we are making that fascia more or that sponge more pliable, our tissues more pliable and hydrated. And one of the core components of whether you visit us for um, mechanical work or whether you're coming for functional medicine is addressing nutrition. And I think it's really, really important. And I know you guys and Dr. Hyman, too, are big proponents of a plant-based ketogenic style diet. And I think the best analogy I can give people is if you picture three bowls in front of you, one bowl has sugar water in it, one bowl has olive oil in it, and one bowl has um, flour and water in it. Okay. That's sort of how our diet works. So let's put our hands in that sugar water and then leave them out to dry. If we bring our hands together, they're really sticky. So that analogy is if somebody's diet is very high in refined carbohydrates or sugars or they're just not metabolizing them. Okay. So I see a lot of people with, um, you know, dysfunctional, uh, or pre-insulin resistance, I, sh- I suppose. Maybe it hasn't flagged on their blood work, but it would show in some of the tests that I do. That means your body's not bringing in carbohydrates and sugars into the cell appropriately to be used. And that means those sugars have to go somewhere. So they'll go and sit on you know whatever tissue uh, that they can find, or they'll become advanced glycation end products, which as we know, creates sticky um, tissues. So That's why we don't want to diet high in um, carbohydrates and refined sugars. Now, not all carbs are bad. Uh, The the best types of carbs I tell my patients to choose are ones with color, water, and fiber. Um, So that means that they have color to the eye. Um, They, you know, a sweet potato, for example, it looks orange. If you cut it in half and rub it on your arm, it would be wet. Um, And if you cook it, it has those little fibers in it. So that would be a great choice as a carbohydrate. If you look at a piece of white Dempster's bread, it's white, it's dry, and it's got no fiber. So that would be a poor choice, for example. You want people eating plants. You got it. As a main source of carbohydrates inside of that. That's exactly it, right? And then if we look at that bowl with olive oil, for example, if we put our hands in that bowl and then we rub our hands together, it's nice and lubricated, right? So that mimics the same idea of eating good fats, right? As we know, fibrous fats are great, avocados, olives, um, nuts and seeds, um, or the good oils, MCTs, coconut, avocado, you know, a ghee or whatever people are using. And then if we look at that, so that would make our tissues nice and lubricated and hydrated back to that sponge analogy and then if we look at that third bowl if we put i call the third bowl sort of indigestible proteins so this isn't for everyone but um let's say if you put flour and water in that bowl that's paper mache right that's the stickiest it's glue sub- it's, it's if glue. You've glue in yeah. kindergarten they that's basically a, give that, you exactly that. and where does the root word glue come from gluten <laughs> right? like they match right so i mean that's and you know anybody who does have some type of intolerance to that that glue that gluten if it's not broken down and digested which a lot of us don't have the ability to do then that's also going to create a glue-like tissue. So, so separate from 
obviously the first layer is like people used to think of food as just calories in, calories yes. out, right? Yeah. Then it was macros, right, of how it affects you. And people would say, oh, I don't want to eat too much of this because I'm going to get fat. I want to do this. Then the next layer, you know, which functional medicine was bringing in, which was, oh, these foods actually affect your intestinal tract. They affect your gut lymphatic uh, associative tissue. They affect leaky gut. They affect this. And you're taking it a step further. You're saying, in addition to that, these foods are also impacting our fascia in the body. Yeah, for sure. And that's just to go back to those bowls. That's just an easy way that patients can understand it. Obviously, we can look at the biochemistry. We can look at the physiology of why that might be the case. But the easiest way for patients to understand, oh, my diet, okay, that is going to affect my tissues is to think of the bowl analogy. And you know, that bowl of glue doesn't have to just be gluten. It could be any protein that uh, that person might have trouble breaking down. So, you know, obviously, the cleanest sources of proteins are going to be grass fed, you know, beef and wild salmon and, um, you know, uh, things that people can actually properly break down versus maybe some people don't do that well with legumes. Maybe some people don't do that well with beans, right? So um, maybe, well, nobody does well on commercial meats, but you know what I'm saying? There's there's um, those immune complexes or incre- increased need to detox if we're having those commercial animals and stuff. You're just increasing the amount of work the body has to do, right? Um, and I think One of the other things, you know, you asked me, uh, what are some of the tests and things I might do for a patient? If I sort of take a 10,000 foot view of somebody who's coming in with, let's say, an ache or a pain, you know, I'm sure everyone listening can relate to doing a really hard workout and then having really sore muscles, right? And sometimes that lasts up to two days, right? Or maybe three days. Um, That's a buildup of lactic acid, right? So that lactic acid it has to go somewhere. It has to be released somewhere. So usually it can take a couple of days and that's why we're feeling like that. That's something that I measure in my practice. I can measure their uh, lactate levels. That's what's called L-lactate. There's also something I measure called D-lactate. D-lactate is, um, you know, something produced by opportunistic bacteria in the gut. So I map the gut with a stool test and that might be something where we look at the gut, see what's there. That might be delactate producing bacteria that's in there. And then that person, you know, shouldn't probably be taking probiotics or eating yogurt or at least probiotics with like lactobacillus in it, right? Because that's a delactate forming um, bacteria. So you know, they should also, again, going back to diet, be taking those um, sugars and carbohydrates out because D-lactate will thrive on that. Uh, we look at mitochondrial health. So that's another one where energy levels, brain fog, obviously the brain is so rich in mitochondria, the muscles are rich in mitochondria. So that's something else where we look at that Krebs cycle. We look at all the intermediates there. And D-lactate and mitochondria are two things that again this person might have come in with some type of ache or pain but maybe they show you know some dysfunction in those two pathways or in their microbiome and that's essentially why they might be having the symptoms they have whether it be a body ache or pain or brain fog or whatever they were experiencing beforehand it's all about digging deeper and trying to really figure out what is causing that person's issues exactly yeah so i want to go back to fascia because you have in some of uh education, you really help expand the topic out further and show that if there's problems in our fascia, it could have problems throughout our body. So one of the ones that I'd love to hear about is that digestive issues. You know, what's the interplay and the relationship between digestive issues and our fascia? Okay. So 
we'll go sort of from an injury standpoint here. So as soon as somebody has an injury, the brain is remapping itself. So if I bend down to pick up a pencil and I create a disc problem in my back, my body says, ow, now my brain is actually going to create a bigger sensory map for my back. And that's purposeful so that we actually avoid using it and we force ourselves to lie down and rest so that the body can recover itself. When that does happen and that remap happens, usually, you know, with proper treatment and care, that brain will actually go back to its normal map after a certain time. The problem is if that person was not properly rehabilitated or properly treated or at the time they also had a stressful event or something like that, their body is now going to be in a constant state of sympathetic um, fight or flight. So as you guys know, I'm sure you've heard this many times on the podcast is our autonomic nervous system. There's a light switch and either you're in your parasympathetic um, system where the light switch is off and that way you can rest and digest um, and heal or you're in your sympathetic state and that um, light switch is turned on and that's where you know your blood's only going to your survival organs so your lungs your primitive brain your heart and your skeletal muscles so the minute that our our body is in a sympathetic state that fight or flight mode our digestive capacity our stomach acid um, all of those processes are going to be turned down they're going to be dialed down in the body and the minute that that happens we become more susceptible to getting different pathogens so we might be more susceptible to picking up a parasite or a worm or different forms of yeast and that sets the stage so to speak for digestive issues, digestive discomfort. As soon as we lower that stomach acid, we are more prone to having, um, you know, bacteria from our large intestine head up north into our small intestine where it doesn't belong. Um, That's another example of that delactate I was saying earlier, which will ferment those carbohydrates in the small intestine and creating gas and bloating for that person. So so that's some way how a musculoskeletal injury can create digestive issues or vice versa, right? A digestive issues, as we know, if we do have a pathogen, a stealth infection in our gut, they're going to be off gassing their toxin. That LPS is going to be toxic to us. That delactate is, um, our body doesn't know what to do with it. So basically that way we sort of become more susceptible to injury as well. If, if that's the case, so they can kind of go back and forth, you know, and and what about brain health? Let's talk about brain health and and fascia and And is there a connection that's there? Yeah. So I'd love to talk about that, actually, because I see a lot of women in my practice. I don't I'm not harping on women, but I think, you know, especially new moms and women, we have a tendency to put others in front of us, you know, our kids, our partner, our families, and we might not notice what's going on with us. So, uh, I mean, what does it really mean, Drew, to notice if you're 10% more tired than yesterday, or if you can't think 20% as clear as two months ago, right? Like those aren't really, we, we really can't tell. And especially women after they've gone through childbirth and their, their main focus is their child. And then I feel like I work with a lot of women who the kids finally go to school, they wake up and they, they're like, wait a second, something's off. Like, they, and, and they can't put a name on it. They cannot put their finger on it. They just know they weren't as vital as they 
once were, and they aren't sure where it started, whatever. They might even have a little bit of IBS. I've even had patients, you know, who I'm doing an intake um, for them for functional medicine, and I'll be saying, okay, so you have constipation. Because they'll be like, oh, well, I go, you know, every three days or something. I have a bowel movement. I'm like, so you're constipated. And they're like, well, no, I still go to the bathroom. Like, it's just less. And I'm like, they're just so That's, used to it. Yeah. They don't think it's an issue. Right. So they don't, they don't even know their own. Nor- I mean, they know their own normal, but they don't know that that's that one should be having a bowel movement every single day. Anybody listening, if this is you, you have constipation and you know, that that's a sign of IBS. That's a sign of digestive issues. That's a, a, a sign that something is going on. But yeah, so back to that. So what does it mean to notice that something's going on in, in your brain? And I think even with me, when I shared with you guys, my personal personal story of falling asleep all the time. I just thought like, oh, the lights are out, a movie's on, like I'm falling asleep. Oh, I'm just tired. And everyone would just say, go to like sleep more hours in the night. And people kind of, we give that kind of advice. We tend to brush it off. Right. So I think for women, a lot of the signal is in their body. Like eventually they'll be like, oh, I can't do my workouts because I've pulled this muscle or I can't, you know, pick up my child because I'm, you know, having some kind of ache or pain somewhere. So I think sometimes and maybe this is, you know, just because of the type of practice I have, what we notice to be, you know, a body ache or pain can actually be preceded by a suboptimal brain function and we just didn't really notice that part first because I find that's not as noticeable. Yeah, so let's just pause there. What's suboptimal brain function? When you when you're talking about that, you just like mean that somebody's brain capacity isn't working at the at the best level? At the level that it could or at the level that it once did. Okay. So same thing if you picture that really tired new mom having not a lot of sleep, probably not focusing on her own nutrition. Um, and so what, what do we do in our society? We go, don't worry, you just have mommy brain, right? Because so, you look around and everybody's feeling the that, same way, right. mostly. Right, right. So we have these words in our society that make it okay to have suboptimal brain functioning. Oh, you're just aging. Oh, that's just menopause. Oh, that's mommy brain, right? These are all like, or brain lapse, right? These are all like uh, lingos that we use in our society to sort of normalize. And, you know, since sometimes we can't quantify it, as I was saying, with what's 10% tired, you know, or something like that, it's kind of hard to quantify. So we just come up with these um, sayings. And that's, you know, again, back to my MO for my practice and just everyone to know that if, you know, a GP has told you you're normal and you don't feel normal, you are the only one who can quantify what normal is for you because you're the only one who's lived in your body and you're the only one who knows what your normal is, right? Like if you picture a really flexible dancer and she goes to get treated and she's got an injury, the doctor might move her around and say, well, your movement's normal. Well, it's not normal for her because she's lost some of her flexibility. And yeah, it might've been like she could wrap her leg around her head, but that, and that's not normal for the average person, but that's essential for her. Right. So it's just, yeah, that's really important to know. So people have been having, of course, kids forever. (laughs) And so what's new, what's happening in our modern lifestyle that's causing these challenges in a way where even if they did happen before, their frequency and their totality is so much bigger than it is now. Let's use the example of the mom, you know, as a archetype of the patient that, you know, you work with what's happening in their life that's causing their body to have some of these things happen. Okay. You ready for it? Ready for it. 
I mean, here we are doing a podcast and thank God for technology, but technology has allowed us to live outside of our bodies and our minds. Okay. So we literally can disconnect. So yes, back in the day we did have babies. We did all that, but guess what? We probably rested so much. We didn't have you know, Instagram or something to look at all the other new moms out there who are already fit. They got their body back. Like they have no problem nursing. I have a problem nursing, right? You're constantly comparing yourself to what's out there. And not only that, not only that people, but listen to this. I love apps too, but like we really rely on apps for a lot of things these days, including standing by your front door and checking your app to see if it's raining or not. And you just don't even use your eyes anymore or, you know, uh, wearing a wearable, right? Like how many steps did I take today? It's like, what happened to just being like, did I get outside today? Like, have I, have I walked? Right. We just, we really rely on technology instead of using our own mind and body anymore. Um, and nobody questions anything anymore. Uh, you know, headphones become wireless and we, uh, we don't ask, how does this Bluetooth technology work? What are these EMFs? What's everything that's, um, creating this technology for us? Um, and we just kind of are going along with that. So I think there's been a lot of changes in that space that has created not only our brains to dial down a little bit, cause they don't have to think like, how many times you get in your car and you know the place you're going to, but you put it into Waze or you put it into Google Maps, right? Because again, we don't rely on our brain for just some simple things that we used to. So that's what I think is one of the main contributing factors. So the beautiful thing, there's beautiful things about technology, but you're talking about the the toll that it's taken on these aspects. Besides technology, what are some other things that, you know, let's even talk about sitting. You know, there's been, I think last year was the year of like, uh, the headline articles of smoking is, the, you know, sitting is the new smoking, yes, you know, yes. uh, let's talk about how we move, uh, you know, sitting, just how we use our bodies on a day to day basis. What are we all doing that's uh, causing some of these issues? So going back to technology, and again, I love it, guys, too, but um, it really has lent itself to a pretty sedentary lifestyle. And I think a lot of us sit for longer periods but not only that we sit without taking breaks so let me just go back to fascia for a second to explain a concept to you called creep so our fascia if we sit in that perfect alignment which a lot of people say should i just sit exactly like this all day long you know they they you you know you puff out your chest and try to sit really tall Uh, But if you do that, even if you were to sit like that, after 15 minutes, our fascia, if you go back to that nylon example that I gave you, let's say it was nice and tight and strong, and then it'll be um, at a medium tension, and then it will start to tighten and tighten and tighten. So around 15 minutes, there's this uh, phenomenon called creep, at which point your tissues are in maximal tension. So if you'll notice, if you actually videoed Drew and I right now, we probably have been adjusting ourselves in our seats around every 15 minutes because our body will just, you know, your body will naturally give you a cue. Oh, sit more on your left butt cheek, sit more on your right, cross your legs, uncross your legs. You know, you, you we're naturally moving all the time. So the problem is with twofold with sitting and sedentary uh, sitting disease, for example. Number one, when we're seated for more than 20 minutes, We're actually supposed to be standing three out of every 20 minutes. So when we sit for longer than 20 and we don't move, our lipoprotein lipase shuts down. 
what that does is breaks down our fat. So our body says, guess what? They're not moving. I'm going to stay in, um, you know, survival mode because what do I need to burn anything for? We're just sitting here. So it's going to actually store fat and not break it down. So that's number one. When that doesn't get broken down, we obviously have an increase in belly fat. When we have higher cortisol, we have higher inflammatory metabolites, and that is going to drive that mechanism of storing fat even more and, you know, gaining weight. So that's number one. Number two is the concept of creep. So we have this sub tissue tightness going on. And if we're not moving around, we're more prone to, again, that fascia is getting tighter and tighter. That nylon's getting tighter and tighter. Now, suddenly we go to reach for something or we twist in just such a way. And that's when that nylon runs. So your fascia will have that rip or that tear and you'll have that lower back pain or whatever it is. And that's when that brain will remap. That's when your body will start moving differently to compensate for that injury, especially if you're not getting it treated. Your body will, you know, fire other muscles or inhibit other certain areas so that you don't re-injure it. And it's trying to do the best that it can with what it's being given, but it will only compensate so many times. So that will make you prone to re-injury or a new injury, because once you start compensating, if something else now gets tired, that will create an injury and you'll have, you know, maybe it started with your back and now your knees hurting you. Right. So that's two of the ways that I think sitting is creating an issue and why I think it's really important. So what I tell my patients is if you have the option at your work is try to get a standing desk and listen, tissue creep is not, uh, it's going to happen for standing also. So you don't want to be doing anything stagnant for too long. So you don't want to stand all day long either. I would definitely recommend getting an anti-fatigue mat if you are standing, but alternating sitting and standing is the best thing you can do. And definitely try to take walks. If you have an office and you're able to do a lap or take a phone call while walking or something like that, movement is the best thing to do. Motion really is lotion and it does help our fascia stay hydrated. So that would be sort of my um, you know, my best advice for sitting and how to avoid that. I have a hard time focusing at a standing desk. So I try to take my calls when I'm on a conference call, when I'm on the phone, I'll walk around the office, I'll walk around a conference room. When I need to sit, when I need to focus, it's, it's hard to stand and focus. Yes. I had a little bit of a hard time, but I read a, a article recently on NPR and they were talking about these, um, people in India who were working in a factory since they were young, they were taught uh, they weren't young and working in the factory. I just mean that they were, when they were younger, their parents would teach them that the way to sit is kind of have your butt. It's kind of like how I'm sitting right now in my chair. So my butt is kind of like sticking out and there's a little bit more of like an S shape yes. that's in my spine. Is that real? I mean, it feels better. It makes it easier to sit. So I'm kind of sitting on the edge of the seat yes. with like kind of my butt more sticking out. I'm not sitting up straight yes. in the chair. Is that real? Is there something to that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we do sit, you know, toward the front of the chair, it allows our pelvis to actually be in a proper position and then our spine will readjust accordingly. To your point, if we sit completely back in the chair and try to stay quote unquote straight, our uh, back isn't actually in our in the natural curve that it's meant to be in. And the back curvature is purposeful, people, so that when we are um, jumping or walking, it can shock absorb, right? So I think that's another point, good point of how injuries happen is when we sit, we end up reversing the lumbar lordosis. And that's why when you leave work and, you know, you're going to go for a run or something and your body, requ- your spine requires that shock absorption, you can get injured in that way too. And I actually, I just want to say one more thing I forgot about um, the desk and the sitting. 
It's really important also the height of your monitor, going back to the spinal curve that we're just talking about. When you look at your monitor, your eyes, there should be about 30% of your monitor above your pupil line. Um, and that's probably the right optimal height for your neck because we've been talking about the low back and sitting and all that kind of stuff but you know your, our neck is really important too we also look down at our devices so much so we really are you know hanging our heads so that's another one because um you know screens oh my god the whole body's connected but <laughs> i'm gonna go on one more tangent here please is that as our heads are hanging here those muscles at the top of uh, at the base of the skull our suboccipital muscles they can get really tight and those suboccipital muscles not only are right by the blood flow of our brainstem to our spine but it's also where our muscles for our eyes uh, our eyes are connected to those muscles. So if you guys don't believe me, again, don't do this if you're driving, but you can take your thumbs and place them underneath the base of the skull, sort of where those two kind of pockets are. There are two kind of divots at the base of the skull. Can you feel it? I'm doing this right yeah. now. Yeah, I can feel it. <laughs> now, if you actually move your eyes left and right and up and down, you can actually feel that that muscle moves around um with your eyes so you know my point is as you're hunched over that computer and your eyes are in the your, you know your neck is trying to adjust to see the monitor and then your eyes are also straining that's pretty straining to that area so you know this is the broken brain podcast so um you know you are uh, decreasing blood flow to the brain that way also uh yeah so important to set up the monitor in the right way so so these are the uh and what about shoes there was a book a few years ago that came out called Born to Run. And it was all about how shoes, pretty much the reason why we have so many injuries in our in our knees and people are getting knee surgery and this. And when you look at these cultures in South America and other places where people are 95 years old, still working in the field, still walking, other stuff, no hip replacement, no knee replacement. And um, they have like the tiniest little rubber flip-flops or they're walking barefoot. Uh, how do, you know, shoes play into this and and how does that affect everything um i kind of call shoes foot coffins <laughs> foot coffins yeah. there you go um i mean we walk around barefoot in my practice um i, I found it really helped my back actually I, you know i used to be of the mind of orthotics and you know stiff shoes and um to give you quote unquote support right and but then every time i wouldn't wear them and i was bare feet my back would kill so uh you sort of have to retrain your feet to have that shock absorption right so once you actually do retrain it and you're barefoot then you go back to wearing shoes it kind of sucks again but um yeah i mean our feet are meant to be our shock absorbers right they're meant that arch is meant to be there uh and i mean if we're talking about feet there's so many bones and ligaments in our feet and they should all be able to freely move because the other thing i don't know if you know much about reflexology but all of our organs are mapped on our feet too so that's why if you know, if you guys are doing that example I gave you earlier in the podcast of rubbing the bottom of your foot on a tennis ball, you might notice certain points are a little bit more tender than others. And sometimes that might be, you know, because of the way the foot is uh, sitting, but sometimes it can also be because there is a organ that's, you know, suboptimally functioning or whatever it is. And that map is on the bottom of the foot. So that might be contributing to that tightness in the foot and how those people are feeling. So everything's connected, you guys, everything's connected. Uh, what are some other ways at home that people can begin to release some of the fascia that is being impacted by tech neck and sitting and this other other issues that we have? Yeah. So, 
again, I love fascial release. Uh, we do it at my clinic. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm very happy that it seems like, especially in the last couple of years, it's becoming more known, whether it's through CrossFit or other functional movement type workouts or other stuff, at least the word fascia, even if people don't understand what it is, like fascial release, it's becoming more well, well known in the yes. culture. Are you yes. noticing that too? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, to your point about uh, functional movement, that's definitely making a big comeback, which I love because functional movement is sort of movements that we would have been doing back in the day, uh, you know, crawling and, you know, like planking and climbing. And uh, these would have been movements that we would have been doing. And, and now we sort of going back to sitting disease, uh, we sort of work in one plane of motion. We wake up from the fetal position and we sit in our chair all day. And then we stand up and we walk to spinning class, sit on a bike and get in that same range of motion again and spin. Right. So, um, I think it's really important people are doing to answer your question. What can people do to, um, lubricate their fascia and keep it healthy is really vary those motions. So the example of sitting, standing, spinning, those are all the same plane of motion. So maybe try to include something that has a bit more of a twisting quality to it. Maybe include something that has like boxing or Pilates um, or yoga. Try something with a bit more of a fluidity and flexibility like those modalities. Uh, you know, try using a foam roller. There's tons of videos online if you're not sure what to do with it. Uh, you can even use, I teach my patients how to use tennis balls uh, to release their fascia. But I think one of the main the, the best thing you can do is just not be in one place for too long, as best as you can. Of course, we're all required to be sitting for a certain period of time and sedentary for a certain period of time. But just try to make those breaks. Try to stand up. Try to walk around as much as you can. Take your calls while you're walking. Do whatever you can to keep moving because ultimately that motion is lotion. And it helps our body in so many, so many different ways. I want to go back to actually your story a little bit since we've talked about some of this stuff and, you know, you mentioned in your healing process, you know, you came across the elimination diet, you know, you had brain fog, you had IBS, you had a collection of other things that you were working through. You were fall asleep very quickly. What was the nickname that you're a uh, narc attack, narc narcolepsy, attack yeah. that your husband, uh, boyfriend at the time, husband now gave to you, you know, what else did you do? What, what do you think were the root issues in addition to diet that you worked on that helped you get better and uh, become whole again? That's such a great question because going back to the type of patient that I see in my practice and going back to that woman who might not perceive certain things going on, but um, they notice the ache and pain. Uh, women, we also notice um, vanity issues, right? So I noticed my stomach was sticking out. My, my stomach was bloated. So I couldn't wear the clothes I wanted to wear. I was... I mean, bloating is not comfortable, don't get me wrong, but it also doesn't look good, right? You you want to look good. Your skin, my skin, I had acne really bad. And so that would bother me because, you know, I wanted a quick fix because like I didn't want to have acne. I didn't want to have bloating, right? And so I think a lot of the reasons of why I started looking into, hey, what's going on with me was somewhat vanity driven only because I didn't realize that I wasn't normal, right? Because people tell you, oh, it's acne, you're a teenager, that's normal, right? Or, oh, you're bloated, that's just, that happens time to time, you're normal, right? So for me, a lot of those solutions, because again, I didn't know what functional medicine necessarily was at that time. And I think a lot of your listeners, well, actually, this audience is familiar with functional medicine, but uh, the general population, let's say, they might not know to ask for functional medicine, they might not know they need functional medicine. So 
when I started, my modalities were movement. So I got, um, you know, I was a dancer and then I went straight into doing Pilates and I loved it because at the time I didn't have a lot of energy and Pilates is something you can dial up or dial down, um, but still get a great workout. And so movement was one of the first ones that I did. And then acupuncture and fascia release was another one that I um, started with. And it was through, and then I did the nutrition, like I said, the elimination diet. So it was through kind of those accessible modalities that I started getting my foot wet, I guess, into that world. And then slowly you become, not obsessed, but you know, you start figuring out there's way more to it. And, you know, there's an energetic component and there's um, a digestive component and emotional emotion, microbiome, like all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I actually tested everything and then figured out the root cause and the solution. So um, it's a little bit hard for me to pinpoint. I've heard Dr. Hyman talk about this before, too. Because we, as functional medicine physicians, become our own science experiment as we're discovering functional medicine, I can't, I wish I could sit here and just tell you, oh, I know what was my trigger and this and that and that, but I slowly would do one test and then I was like, what's this test? And I'd kind of work on that. Then I would like do another test and then and I would feel like... feel a little bit better. Yeah. And this I w- would work or this would work. Exactly. And I was tweaking things for so many different years that um, it's a bit difficult to give you, like, I would love to give you the like, and then I did this and I was like, perfect, but uh, it's slowly been a slow progression um you know to figuring things out and now I just test myself every single year and that's why I'm just so obsessed with patients coming in when they feel quote-unquote fine or um you know the GPs told you you're quote-unquote normal because that's the best time to come see me or you know to see a functional medicine person or um to be proactive because then you don't end up like you don't the last thing you want to do is wake up and be like oh I have now have autoimmune or I now have whatever which you can still you know go to get functional medicine and treatment and all that but you know my biggest mission in life is to let you guys know like don't wait just be proactive you know listen to your body you know release your fascia like start with that because it's your body it's something you can feel it might be a bit hard to tell people to start meditating or something because they might you know everyone at least relates to their body and stretching and moving and um that's I think an easy way in and um yeah I think that's where people should start and just try to do a little bit of something every day. I think it's a good reminder because so many times you're working through something and people who are listening to this podcast, we've obviously had a lot of practitioners on here and and also just really great people who are not practitioners that are teaching some different concept. A lot of them have gone through their healing journey. Maybe some portion of it is left and you can hear these stories and feel mine is not happening fast enough. Not realizing that this person has been 10 years, you know, five years, they've been working through this collection of things that maybe were built up over 20 years. And so it's not uncommon that this just takes a little bit of time, but you can notice the progress along the way and appreciate uh, the journey, which, which kind of takes me into like, you know, so much, the more that I learn about functional medicine and wellness, the more I'm sort of convinced that our, more than our diet, more than anything else, it's, it's really our emotional health that really runs everything. You could be eating the perfect diet, but if you're troubled mentally by something, if something's on your mind, if you're afraid to have a particular conversation or whatever, you can drive yourself sick. And I'm sure you see it, people coming in and there's this tension in their body and they're doing all the right things. And you kind of maybe have a hunch. What do you say to those people and how do you help them kind of dig it out when it's emotionally related ah this that's such a good point i think you know even in chinese medicine 
there are certain organs that hold certain emotional centers. For example, I know a lot of people on here can probably relate to having tight hip flexors. Um, hip flexors are traditionally, you know, related to the emotion anger. So if we are going back to how emotions are stored in the body, they are stored not only in our organs, you know, also in Chinese medicine, the liver um, is a seat of anger. And so going back to movement and stretching and paying attention to that, sometimes, you know, you hear people who take up yoga, for example, they do this yoga class and they might be crying at the end of it or something. That's because... Or, you know, they go to a body worker. Uh, Tom Myers is a big leader in uh, the fascia world. And he says, you know, sometimes he doesn't agree with body workers who just go in super aggressive and like, you know, working on people for that exact reason, because sometimes we are harboring whatever emotion in our body. The emotion is stored in the body. Exactly. And so the minute, you know, you sort of need a gentle. And I find when I'm working on people's hip flexors too, like there's an immediate you can see it in their face. Like when you touch their hip flexor, they kind of, there's kind of this like, you have to ask permission. You're sort of, you know, slowly palpating in and then slowly working on it because you just can't go in and immediately work on it with crazy pressure for certain people, you know, because they might have that. But it, yeah, I don't know them all off the top of my head, but emotions are definitely stored all over our body and our muscles and our organs. And so what I would say to those people, uh, again, is what the advice that I would say anyways, is start with movement, start with getting your body worked on, because sometimes it's hard for people to go in and a notice what the feelings they are feeling. But I do say to my patients, put a rec- if I have had a recorder in your head all day long, what kind of thoughts would be coming up? What would be the themes that keep coming up? What would be the tone that kept coming up? What would up? be the record that's playing? Exactly, yeah. And, you know, we always say, what's the story that's playing over and over in your head, right? So, um, yeah, I think... I, I think the good thing about that is that the body also impacts the brain. So sometimes when you can't work exactly. through something emotionally, you have yes. to ask yourself and look at yourself like, where are you? And do you need some work on the body? Yes. Um, you know, do you want to, do you need to try tapping? Do you need to see yes. a chiropractic doctor who's familiar with functional medicine? Do you need to do something to unlock things a little bit and yeah. to release this past stored trauma sometimes that's mm-hmm. inside the body that's just stagnant? Oh, for sure. Even doing body scans, you know, like lying down and kind of just in your head saying, okay, how are my fingers feeling? How is my palm of my hand feeling? How is my forearm feeling? How is my upper arm feeling? And doing a whole scan of your entire body, sometimes you'll, your mind will take you to certain places and that might be an area of storage. And you might all of a sudden feel really sad when you do a certain scan somewhere. You might feel really happy when you think of somewhere. And that is exactly goes back to those emotions. But one thing, one thing I want to say, you know, especially for your female audience, because this is how I felt, is that medicine sort of makes you feel like one day there's going to be this hero in a cape that's going to come by and, you know, give you the right medicine diagnosis, you know, that there's going to be a cure for something, right? We use all these words that just um, really speak to this sort of fairy tale and who doesn't love a good hero in a cape story like does anyone watch the bachelor on here <laughs> you know we like it's a, it's a it's what we really want but that was something i had to learn um that i really did become the leader of my own health right like i had to assemble the team i had to figure out the modalities that worked for me because it doesn't matter if 100,000 people are labeled as the same diagnosis 
every single one has a different root cause. Every single one is going to be able to achieve health through a different modality first. And what I mean by that is like, let's say everybody has IBS. It doesn't mean they have to all take antimicrobials for their gut first. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, some people might do better with movement first. Some people may need to work on their detox pathways first. Some people may need to, you know, fix some nutritional imbalances. Like every single person might start at a different place. There's what, a hundred ways to skin a cat, a thousand ways, whatever the, whatever the uh, thing is. But the other thing that I did was I hated my body through the process. And I think that's so important for women because we hate ourselves through stuff. So, you know, we want to get to that workout class because I hate, I hate that I had that cupcake or whatever you had. Right. And so we, we say our body's broken. Oh, my body is so annoying because it this and drew, you actually posted a story yesterday. So I'm going to circle this back. And you asked, do you feel that everybody has the best of intentions? You know, and you did a poll on your stories and and, and sorry, you said with the information they know and they've been given. And I just want to emphasize that you need to love your body through the process and the body is doing the best it can with the information that it has and the environment that it is in. So, you know, the only way to, if I can really impart this on you, because I thought I could hate myself through the, you know, like I'll just take, if I just take all these supplements and my body's so stupid because it won't take these supplements in or like it won't do whatever, right? Just love your body through the process because your body's not broken. I know this is called the broken brain podcast, but your body is just doing whatever it can to with the information it's been given. Yeah. And, uh, that's such a good point. Thank you for that. Um, it's like removing this antagonistic relationship that people have with their body. Your body never makes any mistakes. Exactly. It's, it's, it's trying to survive something. It's trying to do something. That's exactly right. And if you have this negative emotion towards it, that's just going to perpetuate the cycle. Yeah. Your body only wants you to survive. (laughs) It only wants you to survive. The only only thing it cares about is that you survive. Dr. Bot, this was great. Thank you so much for helping us understand the role of fascia and really talking about how to bring gratitude and love into our body. And, and of course, sharing and opening up with your personal story. I think when people hear the personal story that other people have gone through, especially practitioners, it makes them feel that um, they're okay, you know, that their journey is still coming along and it's going to take some time, but you know, they're slowly figuring things out. Tell us a little bit more about how people can find out about you, how they can follow you. Uh, your clinic here in beautiful Toronto, one of my favorite cities, and uh, you have some other really cool stuff uh, happening. Yeah, so um, people can connect with clinic. You can go to our website, uh, themovementboutique.ca. You can connect with us on Instagram at themovementboutique, or you can connect with me on Instagram at dr.shalinibat. And for people who, anyone who wants to work with us, we have a team of amazing practitioners who do our uh, TMB method treatment, which is really unique. Like I mentioned, we use the acupuncture to really teach the body how to relax and uh, decrease your stress signals. Um, we use fascial release. We also use anatomical or dry needling, um, rehabilitation and nutrition to get people back to their optimal selves. You do not need to feel something to come in. So you don't need to be broken or have a problem or, or an injury. We are literally there to optimize your wellness. We also do cosmetic acupuncture and we have a Pilates studio in there as well with reformers. And for me, I have three functional medicine programs. I either work one-on-one with people or we can do a consult or I have a program that I launched a couple months ago uh, called the Clean Gut Detox. We've done two rounds of it now. It's just really awesome. It's sort of the main 
kind of the best pieces of advice that I've found to really optimize people's wellness. And we do it as a group and we've got a Facebook group and it really builds a wonderful community and it includes workouts because that's my background and it includes meditations and it includes nutrition and supplements and all the good stuff. And if somebody's not in Toronto, can they, obviously yeah. anybody can visit you, but can they do this program yes, anywhere? Yes, the Clean Gut Detox is available to anybody in North America um, and it's available globally just without the supplements um, for anybody there. We just haven't figured that part out. But yes, I welcome you to uh, come follow me on Instagram and head over to our website to sign up for our newsletter so that you know when the next one is happening. Happening. Amazing. And you had some great content on Instagram. I love, uh, I love the product reviews that you share and you post a lot of recipes, you know, every time you find a new product that you're excited about or that sort of thing, you post about that, the great tidbits. So definitely follow Dr. Bot on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us Thank you. on the Broken Brain podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes especially when it comes to your health.